Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top of mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Amy Rojic. I'm director of our Center for Corporate Governance, and I have the pleasure of sitting down with Don Springer and Dennis Kagan, managing directors of GovernX, a consultancy team of broadly experienced professionals dedicated to providing corporate entities of all types with governance-related counsel and services. Don Springer has served on the boards of international and domestic technology and services companies that include public, private, and nonprofit boards. He's further served companies in the UK, Germany, Spain, France, Italy, and Sweden. Don serves as the chairman of the Colton Group Incorporated, a strategic advisory firm for emerging business, global companies, and social enterprises, where he provides board governance, growth strategies, and business model innovation. He is also a director of GovernX and serves as an advisory board member of the Institute of Excellence in Corporate Governance at the University of Texas at Dallas and is a member of the Institute Strategy Committee that developed the governance capital model. He is further a regular lecturer and presenter. Prior to his current board roles, Don served as CEO and president of Fortune 500 companies, including Global Technology and Services Subsidiary of Ford Motor Company, as well as founded and serves as CEO of served as CEO of several venture-backed startups and emerging businesses. Dennis Kagan is a noted technology entrepreneur, executive, and board director. He has founded or co-founded over a dozen companies, several of which he helped take public, and has served as a CEO of both public and private entities and was an active venture capitalist and private investor, and more recently has had a long career as a professional board member, serving over 67 fiduciary boards. He authored the book, The Board of Directors of Private Enterprise in 2017, which is considered to be the most authoritative perspective on private company boards and governance issues. Like Don, Dennis has actively done business in 35 companies and has served on multiple occasions as an interim C-suite executive. Dennis currently sits on several technology company boards across the U.S. and is a regular presenter and contributor to recognized governance publications, including the NACD's directorship, and directors and boards, among others. Dennis's firm, Kagenko Incorporated, hopefully I said that right, <laughs> provides management consulting services to private company ownership and leadership to develop and manage world-class governance through boards, both fiduciary and advisory, providing his trademark shadow CEO services and unique governance forensics, which uncover loopholes, allowing for desired changes in company ownership. Whew, that was That was a lot. Just the tip of the iceberg for the accomplishments of these two individuals, and I've asked them here today to discuss the value proposition of the private company board. Gentlemen, welcome, and I'm so happy that you could join us here today. Thank you. All right. So too often when we speak about corporate governance, we immediately think of public company board of directors, where the fiduciary role of this type of board is fairly well documented and understood and seems to get the most scrutiny but also the most discussion around emerging best practices for all companies. 
So let's start the conversation perhaps by defining the reason we're here today, and that is to better understand the value of a board for a private company and how this view continues to evolve. Dennis, perhaps we start with you on your thoughts on this. Thank you, Amy. Uh, generally speaking, private companies have many of the same objectives that a public company would have. They often want growth, increase in revenue, increase in profits, contributions to the community, employees, and other stakeholders, and so forth. But private companies aren't driven by some of the same uh, uh, overhanging issues as private companies are, and that can be both that can be primarily an advantage. So that changes slightly what they're looking for. Uh, Private companies typically are, are not looking for the same kind of market-based capital acquisition that public companies are and so forth. So there, are, there can be some differences. In a private company, really the primary value is it allows the owners or the management or the insiders, if you will, of that private company to gain a, a selective uh, uh, amount of expert advice from other people besides themselves. The, the management, the ownership, and the employees of of a company, they're there to provide their insights and experience and, and knowledge to the company. But what are they missing? What other high-level capabilities, connections, and, and insights might they have if they expanded uh, and, in fact, increased the expertise? <clears throat> As a private company, you may not be able to afford hiring an expert in a field that might that might work for a company for a salary of, of a million, two million, three million dollars. Yet you might be able to get somebody like that as a board member for relatively modest compensation. Um, we can talk about compensation later. So the first real value of a board for a private company is first class advice from real experts. The second value is that these people also can bring differing perspectives, they, whether it's perspectives from their position, in finance, marketing, manufacturing, technology, whatever it is, but also perhaps a fresh perspective from other industries. Sometimes industries go through certain cycles at different times. So if your industry is facing certain challenges, there may be other industries that have already faced and, and, and worked their way through those challenges. And somebody with expertise in that domain may have some ideas and some innovations that work for that industry that you may not be as aware of. So the second thing is fresh, innovative ideas. The next is if you're a private company and you're looking for credibility, particularly if you're competing against public companies, having a very stellar board, a high profile board, people whose resumes and backgrounds look really good can help in a number of ways to add credibility. Credibility first, even with your own employees, that these impressive people are participating in their company, but also credibility with customers, credibility with bankers, and so forth. Uh, so it's the optics, uh, and that can give you a competitive advantage. The last, or one of the last areas, if you're a private company and you're very closely held, then sometimes founders or family members, if it's a family business, sometimes they disagree on certain issues. If there's no independent judgment, it's it's sometimes more difficult to go to your to your attorney or your CPA, but if there are independent board members, they can offer a unbiased perspective on contentious issues between owners and help and help mediate a, ver a very satisfactory conclusion. So they're there to help mediate family or, or founder issues. And then last, it's just the next step in companies achieving best practices. 
All right. Well, with that as the background then, and Dennis, thank you very much. Don, perhaps you can briefly discuss the joint endeavor you all are involved with with GovernX and how you came to found this company and what's it intended to do in the governance arena. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, it's interesting. Dennis and I have worked together for some time, and we began to share our experience of private company boards. And uh, almost as the converse of what Dennis uh, described earlier about the value of boards, we found that boards were more operational than strategic. So a lot of private board um, really have just larger management <laughs> meetings. We also found that, uh, as Dennis was saying about the value of getting perspective, a lot of private boards were just comprised of family members or if they added other than family, it was inside members of the company. So there was no outside perspective. And we even had both had the example of boards telling us in in pride of how they didn't disagree at all. And so that was indicative of no give and take discussions. So we felt like, you know, we add value and we've been doing that for years in uh, advisory roles. We really add value and professionalize the board by getting them to um, formalize accountability and compliance. But in addition to that, uh, strategy and performance, uh, looking at business models in light of things like digital transformations or other things, uh, helping boards extend their network, as Dennis said, and finally helping boards uh, really lend credibility, which is important if they're doing mergers and acquisitions or if they're about to exit. So we decided we would pool our resources and our experience of over 80 years on boards uh, to really do this by continuing our advisory work, but we would add other services like board assessments or formal workshops, custom workshops, and even governance forensics, where we really peel through the historical uh, sediments of documentation from the formation all the way up to the most recent minutes. So that's kind of uh, what drove us to form what we do and how we do it. That's excellent. And I, I, I hear your points and I've seen probably a lot of the same things that you've been describing. So I think this is a really valuable ad, particularly for private companies. I, I would add, just to emphasize, if they have a company, private or not, they have a board their certificate of incorporation or their certificate of formation has appointed a board member. Now that board member may only be the incorporator or maybe or maybe the two founders or something, but there is a board there. It's an issue of them not using it and not taking maximum advantage of it and not using it as a competitive advantage uh, that, that we help them address. So in some cases, it's almost like helping them form a board in the first place or evolving their board to better performance. No, great point, great point, Dennis. So I guess for most emerging companies, um, they may not believe that they actually need a board, or at least not immediately, or perhaps they feel that they don't have the time to develop one. We hear that a lot. Um, do you hear that? And what is your opinion? Yes, we, we hear that a lot. And also for, for private companies, even, even though they have a board, uh, a lot of the times Don and I hear, well, I don't want a board because that means I'm going to have to do what they tell me to do. And I don't want to do that. And uh, if you under, when, when you understand governance, you realize that the that the board of directors reports to the owners of the company. 
If you are, if you happen to be the CEO or, or management of the company and the owner, then, then technically you report to the board in your management capacity, but the board reports to you in your ownership capacity. So that's not really an issue. And if you own controlling interest in the company, you're not going to lose control of your own company just because you have a board. But it's, hopefully it's a little bit like the U.S. government with checks and balances and, di and different, uh, different uh, parts of the gov governance structure in that if you discuss something at a board level, you, you surface additional information and it allows you to make a more informed decision. Most of the time, management feels that they've got very, very adequate vertical expertise, expertise in their own industry. But what about what about higher level and deeper expertise in some of the disciplines, finance, marketing, manufacturing, science, technology development, international business, business development, law, et cetera, a number of other disciplines that come to affect the business of a company where the, where the founders and management may not have particularly skilled expertise. Uh, they may be simply bringing people in. If it's an important enough issue to the company, broadening the board to include somebody there gives you regular ongoing, ongoing oversight and input from, from, for that level of expertise. So there's a difference, whereas the advisory board would have very, very deep vertical expertise the board of directors has a broader experience and judgment that they can bring to making business decisions. Uh, it's really a way uh, of very reasonably priced consultants that are there on an ongoing basis and that can continue to give the board uh, and to give management perspective in the case of an advisory board. Sure. So I think one of the things that I, I really would be interested to hear from you is what are the main mistakes that you see private companies make when they form a board? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, some of those mistakes we've talked about, some we haven't. Uh, I would say the first thing is boards need to, in the, a company needs to form a board according to its need. Uh, essentially, Dennis talked about that in fiduciary and advisory. But what does that mean? Well, it means if, for example, if they are deciding to pursue M&A, uh, then they need to have someone with that experience. And so, you ask me what mistakes I see, uh, a lot of times they will form a board and not add the skills or experience or professionalism that they need to really, uh, on an advisory board, fulfill an initiative, and on a fiduciary board, look strategically at the growth of the business long term. So we've talked about how um, they need to get the right people. They need to get uh, outside perspectives. And the mistakes they make are not doing that, just adding people who have experience in the subject matter of the company itself. So, for instance, if it's an engineering company, they load the board with engineers. Uh, if it's a retail company, they load the board with retail people. They don't add other functions, other industries, uh, other professional experiences, et cetera. There's two other things that we see that they make mistakes. Uh, one is when forming a board, they almost limit themselves. They don't broaden their idea of who could serve. So for instance, when we're talking to boards a lot of times, and let's say they needed someone uh, who had experience in the retail market, we'll say, tell us, um, tell us someone like a CEO who is recently retired out of the retail market and let's go pursue them. A lot of times they will be willing to serve on a private board. And too many times 
private companies make the mistake that they can never get those people, and so they don't broaden their idea of who could serve. And the last thing is uh, a big mistake is they don't carry out the formation of the board with respect to committees. So they get a lot of people on the board, but they don't form committees to help them make the actual board meeting more efficient. So yes, they have audit committees, finance committees, but they don't have a committee on strategy, for instance, or they don't have a formal committee on M&A, or they don't have a formal committee on technology. And because of this, as all three of us on this call know, uh, that creates a burden of having longer uh, longer board meetings with lots of um, information that doesn't get served and doesn't get delivered in time. But that's the main mistakes, Amy. No, I, I appreciate that. And I, I take your point in terms of, of limiting themselves. And, and some of the one of the follow on questions to that might be, you know, when you're seeking kind of that independent voice or that um, external voice, if you will, on a private company board, do you find that you know they they tend to gravitate towards what they know as opposed to kind of thinking outside of the box? I think you use the point about kind of getting some different perspectives from industries, for example. But what about types of roles? Because oftentimes, you know, I think a lot of companies, especially private companies that are trying to emulate public companies, really hope to get seasoned, experienced, you know, public company board members to maybe serve on their board when there's a lot of really good, knowledgeable people that are in other management roles that could really help in their board. What, what are your thoughts around that? Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think you hit something uh, very important, and that is that um, they get the people on the board and the decision processes themselves are only the decision processes they know. Uh, when you get professional board members, um, there's um, there's a lot of demand for data, outside data and inside data that they may not be accustomed to. Uh, they may not have an appreciation for process and metrics as much as public companies. They may not have an appreciation for market data uh, in those adjacent markets. They may not have an appreciation for the data required for uh, technology uh, disruption to their business model. And you're quite right, Amy, when they get people with experience in other markets and other functions, those kinds of questions naturally come out. And at the end of the day, the, the process of a board anyway is questioning. Amy, in, in regard to the last question that I answered, and this dovetails with what Don is saying now, one of the biggest mistakes that we see is they wait too long to either form or upgrade a board. And they're sacrificing all of the potential benefit that they could have gotten over a period of time. This is common in companies that are that eventually plan on raising capital or having some kind of a liquidity event. They might say, well, when when we raise the capital, then we'll have to put somebody somebody on our board uh, from the uh, an investor or when we get ready to do this or we get ready to do that, we'll do that. But they're foregoing the benefit of that advice up until that time. And also the closer you get to a situation where you've brought in other investors or whether you or where you're planning a liquidity event, the long the closer you get to that time, the less say so you have. The minute you bring in investors or outsiders in any way, they begin to have a to have a say so in what you do with your governance structure. Best practice is is to put a robust structure in place before you face that and then then 
the new people are joining something that already is there rather than rather than uh, influencing your ability to form it in the first place. Uh, and so that to your previous question about companies may not believe that they need a board uh, right away, I'd say the sooner the better because it can aid them. And then the, the, the last point is that most companies don't go through an adequate understanding or assessment of what would help them the most. They, they it's, it's a knee-jerk reaction. Well, we're faced with this problem. Should we have somebody like this on the board? Or, or who knows somebody that we could put on our board or some, something as arbitrary as that? Where, in fact, the, the right process is to look at the skills and the experience and the personality and the accomplishments and the contacts that would best help the company meet its objectives. What are the things that are most important to us? Then of those things, of those qualifications, which ones do we feel we have adequately represented among our, among our management team already? Those you can mark off the list. What remains? You really wanna, you really wanna balance out the skills, the expertise, the experience, and the contacts that you're missing. You want to use board outside board members to add those capabilities to what you already have. Then you've got a balanced board that covers that's firing on all cylinders. Now, excellent points. I really appreciate that, and and all very very similar to what we see time and again in in discussions with board members, um, particularly those that are really seeking advice and guidance. And I think everything that you've been saying thus far really resonates with me and hopefully our audience. I think our, our final area I was hoping to cover today with you all is the current landscape. So what are the key board topics that are top of mind for private boards? And maybe how is the emphasis on corporate governance perhaps changing for private entities? Yeah. Um, well, uh, very quickly, I think private companies are beginning to follow suit to public companies. And if you recall, all of us know that uh, for over 80 years, 100 years, boards in the U.S. were really focused on uh, compliance. And with Enron, it added ethics. Uh, with, the, with corporate scandals we've had over the last 10 or 15 years and the recession in 2009, it added strategy, talent management, so the point I'm making is that a lot of boards have been pulled into uh, areas, overseeing areas that 20, 30 years ago, we would have thought we never would have uh, overseen. And we would have hired a CEO. They do the job. If they don't, uh, we find another CEO. Today, boards are being pulled in all of those other elements. And so the board topics I see, uh, both public and for private companies, are naturally the recovery from the pandemic. Everyone's uh, wondering how we do that for our business. At the same time, they're looking at future resiliency. How do we look at, for instance, our supply line? Do we do redundant suppliers now? Do we have other kinds of delivery mechanisms for our services and products? So there is this focus on future resiliency so this doesn't uh, impact us as much in the future. Uh, talent management will always be an issue, diversity and inclusion, uh, cybersecurity, and then finally, digital transformation. Uh, this pandemic really refocused our effort on digital transformation. And it's not just um, it's not just automating back office processes. More and more people who were not thinking about 
customer value proposition, especially with respect to digital delivery or digital assessment, are now beginning to think about that. So that's the topics that I'm seeing. Uh, Amy, what I what I would add is a, l- a little bit of perspective. Uh, private company boards tend, by and large, to focus on looking at where their feet are, not where they're going. What's our revenue? What was last month? What's our conversion rate? What's our what are our expenses? What's our cash balance? They tend to look down at their feet. They're not looking out in front of where they're walking as much as public companies are. Uh, and it, for most private companies these days, it's I would say it's business, not as usual. To some to some of Don's points, like the pandemic and so forth, they're really trying to do business as usual and focusing on the things that makes it less than usual. Uh, there tends to be an evolution based on partly on the size of the company, smaller companies, and even the size of the board. Smaller boards, the smaller the company and the smaller the board, the more they're focused on day-to-day business issues. As the company grows and as the board grows and brings on outsiders, the company, they, the board then has the ability to, to step up a level and look at broader, broader issues and then as it gets to be a big company, then they can begin to even look more at the overriding, uh, 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 more controversial issues that we have today, like some that Don mentions, uh, pandemic, cybersecurity, compliance, diversity is another one, stakeholders, digital transformation, all those things that Don mentioned. But, th- but for most boards, that's an evolution. And in my experience, at least, most private company boards, particularly companies that are give or take 100 million or less, don't spend much time on those other issues. Gentlemen, all great points that you brought up today. And for our audience, if you'd like to hear more about private company governance issues, please join BDO for our webcast program. And uh, I'm very happy to thank both of you, Don and Dennis. Great job today. And I look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you for the opportunity, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash bdo boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit bdo.com slash bdo knows governance.